Amen. If you got elementary age kids or younger, we'd love for them to be a part. I see Mr. Jeff right there. He'd love to uh, walk our kids back to our Vine Kids time. We'd love for you to be a part of what we have going on this morning. Well, we are glad that... Are you going to bring that to me? Come on. I'm right here. Come on. Bring it. You don't need to be shy. Thank you so much. I love it. It's darling. There I am. Actually, that may be y'all's family this time. Congratulations. Happy Father's Day. She's drawing pictures about you, Ben. That was good instead of me, so that's great. Um, awesome. Well, we're glad you guys are here. As you know, we are on a little bit of a break for the book of Acts. For 62 weeks, intermittently, we've taken breaks over the period of time. For really about two years, we've been walking through every single verse of the book of Acts. We have been challenging ourselves to think differently about what it not only means to be church, but what it means to be sent into the world, empowered by the Holy Spirit and sent into the world. And it's been quite a journey. We're in the home stretch. We only have two chapters left, and we're going to wrap up this summer and, and kind of move into some other things. We've taken a little break because some travel schedules have kind of been unfolding, and, and we've had some guest preachers. And so we've just kind of taken a little bit of a break, and we're going to kind of continue that for a little while. Those of you that are here three weeks ago will know that I kind of moved us into a, uh, well, a little bit off the biblical beaten path, if you will. So we don't spend a lot of time in our studies on uh, some of the smaller epistles or smaller letters, as books like or letters like Second and Third John, where we were a few weeks ago and where we're going to be today. In fact, most of us probably don't know much about the letters of Second and Third John. We've heard about First John. It's five chapters and it's a theological marvel, and we typically see a lot of great stuff coming out of there. But letters of Second and Third John are different. They're very personal. They're very short. Combined, they're only twenty-six. Verses And they're written to very specific individuals addressing very specific things. So they're quick read, and we don't spend a lot of time there. And so they're kind of off of our sort of traditional biblical kind of preaching path. Well, three weeks ago, we looked at the letter of Second John, and we looked at it in the idea of understanding and finding joy in a life that walks in love. And John was writing that letter to, he addressed it to a chosen lady, someone that we talked about who was probably an individual um, who had children, and John found such great joy that her children were walking with Jesus. And he took the time to tell her, and we talked about what it would look like as a community if we found great joy in the successes and things that mattered in other people, and I encourage you to go out and, and actually speak some kind of encouragement truth to somebody, somebody that mattered and sort of explored that in connection with the gospel, and, and I hope you have a chance to do that. This morning, we're going to kind of continue that trajectory and talk about, instead of the joy of walking in love, as John's going to shift gears a little bit and talk to this gentleman named Gaius about the joy of walking in truth, okay? And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to the book of 2nd, or actually the book of 3rd John, which is going to be right after 2nd John. So it's right in there. So if you can find that, then you're home free. Um, this morning, we're going to kind of be exploring it through the lens of what it would look like if I fully gave my life into my relationship with Christ, and I found joy in actually walking in Him, in total and complete surrender to Christ, how that would change us as individuals and how it would change us as a church. So before we open God's Word and we begin to kind of explore that, let's take a moment, let's pray, and just ask God to teach our hearts this morning. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. <clears throat> God, we thank You that Your Word is truth. That your word is perfect. It is flawless. God, we thank you that it is uh, for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Father, we thank you that you tell us that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. 
that it penetrates even, even to dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit. God, you tell us that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. God, your word is true. It is not a suggestion for our life. God, it is the very foundation upon which we lay everything. And so, Lord, this morning we know that we can't come to you and learn anything. You have to reveal truth to us. You teach our hearts. And so, God, we ask that you would do that, that you would teach our hearts this morning. Take a moment just in your own heart right where you sit and just ask God to teach you something this morning. However small or however big, just invite the Lord to teach your heart through his word this morning. Take a moment, pray for someone beside you, uh, in front of you, behind you, even if you don't know their name, even if you've never seen them before, just be in the habit of praying for other people. We do this each week. We want to make sure that we are not just focused on ourselves and our own experience, but we are actively involved in being joyful in what's happening in the lives of people around us. So pray that God would move in the people around you. Lord, we turn this entire morning over to you. You are so good, and you are so good to us, and you love us in spite of all of our mistakes and all of our shortcomings and all of our failures, some of which we made last night. God, you still love us. And God, I pray that you would teach our hearts this morning and that you would point us to truth. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So the book of First John, or book of Third John, is short, right? Combined with Second and Third John, only make up twenty six verses. This one's only about fourteen, and we're going to look at the the first ten because John is going to do something very interesting uh, that I think we can pay attention to this morning and and learn about not only for ourselves but who we are called to be as a church and as individuals. So let's take a look at that, and then we'll just kind of walk through it. So Third John verse one says this: the elder. To my dear friend Gaius, who I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church that Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. And he also stops those who do so and puts them out of the church. So the interesting thing about the letters of 1st and 2nd and 3rd John is that we are peering into relationships. Now a lot of our books that we have, and especially in the New Testament, are sort of theological overviews or big historical kind of documents. I mean, Acts is 
the entire record of the birth and sending and movement of the church. It's this sort of overarching umbrella that's got tones of relationships in it. We learn a lot of names, but when you read 2nd and 3rd John, you are reading a letter that has been penned to an individual. It's like gazing into that relationship, and it's intricately and deeply personal. And 3rd John was written to an individual by the name of Gaius. And we don't know much about Gaius from history. There's very little that we know about him, actually. We know that he was a leader in the church, most likely in Ephesus, where John was closely connected. And that's pretty much it. But we learn a lot of interesting things about him along the way. Now, John starts this letter off by saying, hey, I'm the elder, I'm an elder. And an elder, and as we've talked about before, is a, a picture of leadership, right? Acts and First and Second Timothy and Titus and, and uh, the letters to Peter, they kind of point the idea of elder as an overseer of the church, a teacher, a protector of the flock, protecting the church from heresy, someone that has been appointed by God to lead and teach the church. Not a business administrator, but a spiritual overseer and leader. And John was most likely an elder of the church in Ephesus, where, uh, where John was, was likely an elder of the church in Ephesus, where Gaius was also leading. And John was out, and he's writing letters, and he writes this letter back, and he addresses himself with this sort of authority, saying, I want to bestow something upon you. And he said, look, I found great joy. And he starts the second letter of John off the same way to the chosen lady. Hey, look, I have found great joy by what I've heard about you. And he says, it finds me great joy to hear that you are walking in the truth. And I find great joy that my children are walking in the truth. And it brings me joy to know you're walking in the truth. Now, the idea of truth in John's letters is really important. He loves that word. And in the Gospel of John, he uses the word over 25 times. In fact, he records Jesus' own words as saying, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. And John uses that idea as a basis for understanding who Jesus is. In fact, interchangeably uses the word truth with the word Jesus. And he kind of does that here. He uses that word interchangeably to say, I have found great joy that you are walking in truth or that you are walking in Jesus. I find great joy when I hear that my children are walking in truth or walking in Jesus. And he uses that word interchangeably. Now, a lot of us understand our relationship with Christ as a walk. We talk about it. Hey, how's your walk with the Lord or your walk with Christ? But for us, that understanding a lot of times is a partnership. It's a walk with Christ. It's a partnership. If I keep up my end of the deal, I go to church, I read my Bible, then God will keep up his end of the deal and I, and I don't lose my job or he promises to protect me. And as long as I live morally or do my thing, then God will do his thing, right? And it's sort of a partnership. It's a walk with Jesus. And that's how a lot of us reference our own spiritual lives. I'm walking with the Lord. But if you really read scripture, our relationship with Christ is actually not a partnership. It's a surrender, it is a complete giving in to the lordship of Christ. And so when we understand that we are called to walk in Christ, it means something completely different than walking with Christ. With Christ is this partnership by which I give my way and God gives me this, and as long as we're in conjunction, then it works. But surrendering to the lordship of Christ means I let go of all of my own longings and desires, and I say, Jesus, I want to be found in you and you alone. When, I, when people see me, I want them to see you because I am in you. Paul puts it this way. He says, I no longer live, right? But Christ lives in me, right? So in other words, I die to Jesus and my walk becomes in him. 
right? And so what John is saying is that I find great joy that you are walking in Jesus. But what is more is that I've heard about your great love. And we learned a couple of things about Gaius that are really important here. And I want to point them out because John's going to kind of put them against something else here in just a minute. A couple of things we learned about Gaius. Gaius lived his walk in Christ faithfully. So John says, I have heard that you are living your walk in truth in Jesus faithfully and that you are a lover of people. Now, there were some guys that were sent out doing mission work, much the way that we've been studying the book of Acts, that Paul went out into the world. And they were strangers in the land, and Gaius had apparently loved them and welcomed them into his life and taken care of them. Because John says, I have heard about your love, right? You are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. They received no help from the pagans, but you have shown them, and we must show them, incredible hospitality. John writes to Gaius, and he says, let me tell you what I'm hearing about you. I'm hearing that you are faithfully walking in Jesus, and you are loving people. Now, apparently, there have been some guys that were sent out living and doing mission work, and you have welcomed them into your life, even though they were strangers. In fact, your love was so amazing that they came back and they told the entire church about what? About your love. They didn't tell the entire church about your house and about the fact that you got a pool and that it was really great and you're, you know, your wife's a mean cook. And They didn't talk about all that. What they said was they came back and they told the church about your love. Now what I find remarkable about this is that I started thinking about what people might say about my life. Or what they might say about your life, right? What people say about you? What they go back and tell other people? Hey, so-and-so is a great business person, right? An amazing teacher. It's so smart. And they're top of their class in med school, right? They have this kind of house. They have this kind of thing. I mean, what is it that people say about you? They say you're bitter, that you're gossipy, that you're shallow, I started thinking about what people might go back and say about me. And I, I came up with a long list of probably not great things, but I know that one of the things people probably won't say, and they go back and they say, man, look at Treb's love. That's what they brag about. This guy loved people. See, I, I want, that's what I want my life to be known for. As followers of Christ, the joy of living and loving people means that we would be known for our love, that our hospitality is evidenced in the way that we love people. This is the call of the church. The call of the church is to love people in such a way that when they return, what they're saying is, you wouldn't believe they're building. They got a rock climbing wall and a kid's facility and they served Starbucks coming out. They're saying they loved me. They welcomed us. They lavished us with care and grace and kindness and love. We are so concerned with other people's perception about our outward lives, both as a church and as individuals. What I wear, what they think about me, what I look like. We do it with our families. We portray these pictures that we want other people to go back and say, well, you know, they're good family. Very seldom do we air truth, right? But Gaius, and he loved in some kind of ridiculous way 
where these brothers went back and they bragged about his love. They have told the church about your love. It's pretty remarkable. His love was that profound. The other thing we see about Gaius is that Gaius was extremely kingdom-minded. It was for the name, sake of the name of Jesus that they went out receiving help, no help from the pagans. And we've got to show them hospitality as we all work together for the truth, as we all work together for Jesus. Gaius had a kingdom-minded view of the world, right? He loved these people even though they were strangers. He didn't, he didn't know them. He hadn't met them. They were out on the road doing things for the name of Christ, and Gaius met them, and he loved them in such a way because of who they were, right? And that we were working together for the name of Christ, which is a completely opposite picture of the way our 21st century Christianity works in this country, right? We are divided and split by churches, by denominations, by everything imaginable. We have turned a lot of our churches into competitions. We compete over the same people. Church growth, honestly, is just shifting one group of disenchanted people to one church to another. We very seldom are seeing church growth because we're going out there and we're sharing the gospel and we're seeing new people come to know Christ and our churches are filling with new believers and we're baptizing hundreds of people in parking lots. Most of the time, church growth happens, especially in our culture, in our Oklahoma City culture with 1,668 churches because one disenchanted group of people decides to move around from church to church to church until they find what they like and become disenchanted again. And we are trading Sets of believers like baseball cards. And it's a competition on some level, sadly. By growth, by stuff, by things. We try and outperform each other on Sunday mornings. We try and outperformance each other. We throw up dividing lines based on denominations and names and worship styles. We fight about parking lots. And services, and who can do the most extravagant Easter service? And who has what? How many satellite camps, and how many this, and how many that? And I'm not pointing the finger in particular. We're as guilty as everybody else. But the truth is what Gaius was working towards, kingdom-minded, was for the name of Christ, so that we may all work together for the truth. We have no sense that when these brothers walk into town, Gaius asked them where they were from, what church they were from, what they looked like, if they were Baptist or Presbyterian. Those things, of course, didn't exist back then. We have no sense that he asked them. He just welcomed them because they were brothers. And I've told this story before, but it's worth telling again because it's just a fascinating example to me. First time I was in China, when we went and did our first kind of outreach there in this giant city called Guangzhou, it's the largest city you've never heard of. Uh, millions and millions of people packed everywhere you go. We'd ride public transportation everywhere. And the subway system is a game. It's a game of how many people you can press into one tiny box at the same time, right? And I am a huge human in China, huge. In fact, we went to an English uh, kind of class, and one of the students in the broken English asked me, she goes, are you a giant from your land? I was like, first of all, that's offensive. <laughs> Second of all, no. 
but I'm huge. And so anytime I get on a subway, pressed like sardines and people, my head sits exactly one head above everybody else. So there's always somebody in your armpit, right, which is kind of weird. Right here, it's just kind of weirder. And you're, and you're just sort of like this with people. Packed. Well, we were waiting on the subway platform to go in with this mass of people. And the contest is you don't let the people come out first. You've got to go at the same time, right, because you're going to lose a spot. So as the subway car empties, you press yourself as hard as you can through the, the, the mess of people in order to get in there as well. So we're waiting, and I've got my satchel on my back, and I'm waiting, right? And I can see, I can see into the subway. I know there's spots in the back, and so I'm ready to make my move, right? And everybody's kind of standing there, and there's six or so of us getting on this, this subway car. And I'm standing there, and as the door opens, this guy right here, uh, probably about six feet from me, looks at me in the eye, just stares at me, which doesn't happen. There's not a lot of, I think a lot of eye, if you've ever been traveling other countries, other places, there's not a lot of eye contact. It means different things in different cultures, but he looks at me in the eye. And then he walks straight at me, and we're staring at each other. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to lose the staring contest, right? So we're locked eyes, and I'm thinking, i got to get past him, but we're looking at him. And he comes right up to me, and he stops. And he says, are you a believer? Which, if you've ever been to China or any part of Asia, can be a loaded question. Right, because we were trained and taught that there, you know, with the underground church, a lot of movements that you have to be careful, and we had to be careful who we talked to about what we were doing there. And I'm face to face. Well, he's face to chest with me and looking up, and he asks me, probably a 22 year old kid, if I was a believer. And at that moment, I thought, what I say, right? And so I looked at him, and this throng of people as we're all pressing, and I said, yes. And he lunged forward and he threw his arms around my neck. And he kind of buried himself in me with his little neck nuzzle up in here, right? And I kind of wrapped my arms around him because this is really odd. It's the first time this has ever happened. I'm not afraid to hug, but this is weird. And so he's in here and he's just hugging me. And we waited and we waited and he just hugged and he just hugged and the car's filled. And finally, when we broke away, we looked away, and he looked at me and he said, brother. Only words I think he knew. Are you a believer? Brother. And he had this giant grin on his face. And then he walked away. And I got on the train, last one, sort of there, and I was thinking to myself, that was crazy. I mean, I bump into Christians every single day. You can't throw a rock without hitting somebody right here that claims to follow Christ. But in China... It was a very different deal. And I guess he recognized because, you know, the giant white guy standing on the platform looked like a missionary guy, you know, with his shorts on, his whatever. And so he just assumed, but he didn't ask me where I went to church, if I was a Baptist or a Methodist or what we did or if we planted a little church like this. He didn't ask me my theological doctrine on the atonement. He didn't ask me anything. He didn't ask me if we did traditional or contemporary worship. He didn't ask me any of those questions. He just simply said, are you a believer? In other words, do you believe in Jesus? And then he hugged me, awkwardly as it was, and called me brother. What I started thinking about as I was reading this passage about Gaius was this sort of love that would well up in people that caused them to be that kingdom-minded. 
right? I mean, would you ever really care that much to do that to anybody else? I mean, truthfully, in our Western culture, would you ever care enough to hug someone else that you didn't know just because they claim to follow Christ? I mean, probably not. Not unless you knew them, certainly not a stranger. But these men were strangers. And they were in a land where there were not a lot of believers. And it was hostile. And when you heard that somebody was walking around for the name of Jesus, you wanted to be with them. What if the church, what if our church, what if our life was geared that way? Like, I don't care what you're from or what you look like or what your background is. If you love the Lord, let's figure out a way to engage the world and love people to Jesus together. What if that became our movement, our heartbeat, the heartbeat of your family? Gaius. Love people, man. He was moved by his love. He was so kingdom-minded, right? Our churches are so particular church-minded. What happens inside our walls, how we grow, how we do this, what our perception is to the world. Well, John does something interesting here. In verse 9, he makes a distinction. He says, first of all, I want to tell you the joy I found that you are walking in truth. You are walking in Jesus. I wrote a letter. I wrote another letter. I wrote a letter to this guy named Diotrephus, right? I wrote a letter to him, but it didn't quite go very well. He says this. He says, I wrote a letter to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us, not satisfied even with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers, and he stops those who want to do that, and he puts them out of the church. So John says, I wrote a letter to another guy, another church, a guy by the name of Diotrephus, another guy we don't know much about. And he says, but he really wouldn't have anything to do with us. See, Diotrephus loves to be first. He loves to have his name known. He loves to be at the head of the line that people would know him. He loves to gossip, talk about people. He's even done it about us maliciously. And what is more, he doesn't welcome the brothers like you have done. And he even takes it a step farther. Those that do welcome the brothers, he puts them out of the church. See, Diotrephus was a leader. We know that because he had the power to put people out of fellowship. Gaius and Diotrephus, very... Similar positions, most likely. Leaders in the church, worthy to be written a letter by John himself. Very different perspectives on the gospel and on life. Both were believers. Both were followers of Christ. Both were leading the church. But very different people. I would venture to say that our church and the churches here are filled with both types of people. And I would probably venture to say that if you knew Diotrephus, you would probably like him because he's probably not that much different than you and I. Now, it sounds rough here, but if you really think about it, our churches are filled with them. People that just want to have their, their self seen, to be seen, to serve, to see, to be seen, to look kind of like, hey, I want to be out there first in kind of vision. I want you to know how hard I'm working how hard I'm serving, how much I've given, what I'm doing for this place, that I deserve something because of how much I've put in here. Our class deserves to have that room. We deserve this. Church owes me something 
because of how I've served for all these years. Diotrephus loved to be first. And what that means is not first in line at the potluck. It just means his name first, right? He loved for people to say, oh, you go to Diotrephus' church. He's a great dude. He also loved to gossip. Said some malicious things about the church, but our church is filled with people like that, right? We love to tell people about other people's stuff. Sad as it may be, we find a lot of satisfaction, if you will, and not always the failures, but sometimes the failures of other people and sharing the story. Hey, I can't believe they're here. Did you hear they're getting a divorce? You know, I probably shouldn't say this, but, you know, this is what I saw, or this is what I heard, or this is who they are. Oh, really? Man, that's sad. And we do it in the church a lot of times. Hey, I need you to pray for a good friend of mine. And then we share all their life in the version of a prayer request, right? Diotrephus loved to, to gossip. And he didn't welcome people. What he was was concerned with his own community. What Diotrephus cared about was his church within its walls. We're not welcoming those, whoever they are. Because they don't look like us, and they're not from here. Because those travelers were foreigners. They're kind of homeless. They're stragglers. They're poor. They don't have anything. If they come in, we have to give them our own food, our own stuff. So we're not going to welcome them. We're going to protect what we've built here. And he took it one step farther. If you want to live that way and and be kind to them, or you want to break the mold that we have around here, you want to invite the broken into this fellowship, you want to do something outside of the windows of what we do, you're not welcome here. And he pushed the margins of people that wanted to love that way out. And he created a culture of church that was built around us. And if you dared to venture outside that circle, you're not welcome here. Now, that sounds extreme to us, but if you think about it, how many of us are very comfortable with what we have? We don't want to, you know how many times I've heard this? We don't want to get any bigger. I like being small. I don't think you have a choice, right? Well, we don't want to do that. What if we bring homeless people in here? How's that going to affect everything that we do? I don't really care. We live that way. We have our perfect small group. We don't want to invite anybody. We've been together for years. I don't really care. Part of loving people is throwing open your boundaries and saying, God, I am available for whatever you will do. You can blow up my small group. You can blow up my church. We will open the walls of this place so that people can pour in. We do not want to be a place where we are created just to nurture ourselves. I don't want to be a part of a church like that. Diotrephus, he looks a lot like you and me. And somewhere along the way, those desires just kind of got bigger and they created boundaries and walls and comfortable feelings and safe places for believers. The gospel, right, is not safe. It's not clean, it's not perfect, it is messy, and it is ugly, and it's got a lot of crazy, blurry lines. And Gaius was a person who lived in the middle of it. I don't know what your life is like. I don't know the margins of your life and the things that you care about, but I'll tell you this, as a church, 
I would rather be as dirty and messy and broken and whatever than have this thing put together in a way that just cared for the nurture of what we do here. But this is not just about the church. It's about you. Gaius and Diotrephus were individuals. They were followers of Christ. Which does your life look like? How open is your heart to the outside world? How open is your heart to the broken, to those in need, to the hurting? How open is your heart to your neighbor? When's the last time you had him in your house? Gaius lived in a way that said, I'm going to find joy in my walk in truth, in Jesus. It's going to be who I am. And people knew him because of his love. That's what they talked about. And they knew Diotrephus because of who he was. His name was first. It was on the building. Right? Gaius, all we know is that he loved Jesus. Look, I want to be a church filled with people that just love Jesus. I don't care if anybody knows us. I don't care if we ever grow. I don't care if we ever do anything. I want to be known for our love. And it should mark our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is true. I thank you, God, that it is right. And I, I honestly say, Lord, I have a, I'm as much a diatrephus as I am anything else. There are all kinds of parts in my life that love to be first and that stuff. In fact, most of us probably have pieces of that all throughout our hearts. We like comfortable. We like safe. We like people that look like us and that have the same socioeconomic circles and statuses and things. We feel very comfortable there. God, the church is not that picture. The church is a place where the gospel breaks hearts and lives and mends and redeems broken, shattered, hurt people just like me. God, I want to be known and marked by our love that is driven by our walk in Jesus. Not our love just because we love, but we love because we are walking faithfully in truth in Christ, and it drives us to think and live differently. So Lord, as a church and as individuals, I pray that you would turn our world continually upside down, that you wouldn't let us be satisfied with margins and the things that the world and our Western church tells us we should be. But God, let us live as Gaius, throwing open the doors of our hearts and our lives to the marginalized, to the strangers, to throw our arms around the necks of people and be excited because they love Jesus and not what church they do or don't come from and not whether they classify themselves in this theological section of whatever doctrine. We want to love people. And we want to love them in Christ. So Jesus, break our hearts from the gossip. Break our hearts from the comfort of building a community that feels safe. God, break our hearts from the desire to be first, to be seen, to be recognized, to get what's mine shatter those selfish desires and create in us a heart that says, I just want to be known because of how Jesus loved me. Let that be the hallmark of a church, of the church. Let us fight for churches in the city. Let us pray for them up and down our street. Let us pray that they may be winning people to Christ because of how they love and share the gospel. God, let us together fight for the name of Jesus. 
so that the world may know the redemption and love and grace that comes from knowing your son. Lord, as we close our time in worship, I pray that you will convict and capture our hearts, that we may celebrate the fact that you have redeemed and saved us and that we are called to take that name to the world. We might find great joy as we walk in truth. Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning. Thank you.